Welcome to AmiCast, podcast about Amiga computers. I'm your host, Krzysztof Radzikowski, but call me Christoph or Radzik. Welcome. This is the 12th episode of uh, AmiCast. And today I'm very proud because I have very super uh, guest, one of the most known people in Amiga history. And the, I think the guy that could make the things different. Uh, so uh, easy. This is the Jim from the Gateway. So, hi, Jim. How are you? Hi, Christoph. I'm doing well. Thank you. Oh, very nice. I'm very excited. So, sorry for my excitement. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, yeah, let's start it easy. So, the your first contact with computers and, uh, and then the Amiga story. Have you used Amiga in your yeah, years ago and so on? Well, great. Um, and I would, you know, before I start, I'd like to say that, um, you know, I'm my, I have a 25-year career in high-tech consumer products, and, you know, I've launched uh, over $28 billion worth of computer or consumer products in my career. But, you know, the Amiga opportunity and the, the year or a little over a year that I spent on Amiga um, was probably the highlight of my career, um, the most an exciting opportunity that I ever had a chance to work on. Um, and unfortunately, it ended up becoming also uh, the biggest tragedy of my career. Um, you know, unrealized plans that could have been significant plans. So uh, very bittersweet for me, um, but some very great and fond memories of Amiga and the Amiga community. Um, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk to talk to you about it. So to start, um, just to give you a little background so you understand, you know, where I've come from. But, mm -hmm. you know, um, <clears throat> I went to college here in California, UCLA, and I was getting a, a combination of a electronics engineering uh, degree and also computer science. Uh, and while I was in college, my last uh, few years, I um, took a job developing Uh, as a software developer, developing video games. Uh, at that time for the Atari 2600 and the, the Commodore, uh, the Tandy uh, TRS-80. Um, and uh, so I developed uh, video games, encoded video games, and um, yeah, that was my, my, my first job and, and one that got me into computers uh, very deeply. Um, uh, it was interesting because at, at school we were programming using punch cards and big big computers, and so the my job, which I worked mostly at night, early morning, uh, was using the um, you know the computers, the gaming computers, and the the new generation of personal computers coming up. Um, but uh, one, I remember one day uh, we got a new computer in uh, that people were talking about that uh, hadn't uh, was not. Um, actually in production yet. It was a prototype. And uh, it was the first Amiga, and it was in this uh, huge box, uh, and it was a wire-wrapped version of the product. So I think there were probably, if I remember, several boards that were plugged into a backplane uh, with a 
a wire wrapped version. If you know what that means, it's mm -hmm. basically you you basically um, uh, have pins that come out the back and you wrap every single wire in con connection. And we had an opportunity to get one of the first views and, and um, uh, they wanted us to look at uh, what type of games we could develop on it. And uh, I didn't get a chance myself to work on it, but my colleague, um, which uh, I was very close to, had an opportunity to program and work on the Amiga. We talked a lot about it. And it was, of course, an amazing graphics machine, and it made a, a huge impression on me. Um, so I, uh, that was my first contact. Now, when I, I graduated from, um, from college in 84, um, I uh, always wanted to own my own company. So I launched uh, a few companies, but uh, the one that really kind of stuck was uh, I knew the PC market was taking off in a very big way. So I developed, I launched a company to design personal computers for large companies. Um, and uh, I developed um, with my group of people, we got up to about 20, 25 people, developed computers and PCs and um, it was interesting because I designed computers and PCs, but I, I, in my office I worked on a Mac um, <laughs> because uh, even though I knew that the money was where the PCs were, uh, I also didn't really uh, like the PC <laughs> uh, in terms of the use of the PC. So um, in 92, one of my biggest customers was Gateway. Uh, and uh, I was developing, my company was developing companies and PCs for Gateway. We were developing PCs for Intel also and for um, uh, Compaq and other companies. Um, but uh, Gateway was growing uh, extremely quick and they needed someone uh, to help them with product development overall. And uh, Ted Waite, the CEO of Gateway, ended up uh, acquiring my company um, and uh, to get me in to become the senior vice president of product development for gateway computers and so in 92 that's what i did and and i was there for about six or seven years uh and every product that gateway developed within between 92 and 98 uh came out of my organization uh, and i built the group up from a, a few dozen people up to several hundred people um but toward the end and this is where i i, I come back to amiga um uh, first of all, back back to this kind of brings us up to why did Gateway buy Amiga in the in the nineties? You know, IBM finally got around to coming aggressively after PC companies for the intellectual property, the IP, and the patents, mm -hmm. um, and that that a lot of had come out of the IBM PC design way back when, and so IBM was aggressively coming after companies negotiating, um, you know, for the licensing. Uh, and, um, you know, Gateway was one of the companies where we had to uh, negotiate with IBM and come up with a huge amount of money in order to, um, um, uh, you know, to, to, to have a license officially for the, the products that Gateway had. And part of the, part of the, um, agreement uh, with IBM uh, was that uh, you know that 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 going forward, if we wanted to have access to all their patents, um, we would need to have a patent portfolio of our own, um, so that there'd be a cross licensing agreement. So we had an initiative that we had to um, we had to actually generate a lot of patents within Gateway. So um, that fell on my group, and I ended up. Um, 
uh, putting a group in place internally uh, that would uh, help stimulate the creation of patents within Gateway uh, and uh, would patent the intellectual property that came out of all the groups in the, the 26 product teams we had at that time. Uh, and then we always, uh, at Gateway, we also were looking for patents that we could acquire and then that's where Amiga came up. Um, someone brought to our attention that Amiga had some, some uh, a significant patent port portfolio. Uh, and, um, you know, we uh, felt that would be a great portfolio to pull in. Uh, I remember uh, Ted Waite, and at that time, I think the CEO Whiteson was also involved, um, you know, asking my opinion relative to it. And, and I was very much for it. Uh, I hadn't thought about Amiga for a long time. Um, but uh, the um, uh, you know the the the, the uh, thought of acquiring the patents got me to think about Amiga again, and and I looked into it, and I was very impressed with what the community had how it in, had endured. Um, but the real primary uh, reason for Gateway to buy it was the patent portfolio. Um, some of the patents, by the way, that were really kind of interesting or exciting. Um, Gateway, I mean, Amiga had uh, one of the had a patent for drop-down menus. Um, mm -hmm. The drop-down menus that you see everywhere today, yep. uh, Amiga had first done that, um, and you can imagine that was an incredibly powerful patent to have. Um, so, we uh, acquired Amiga as part of our patent strategy. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, it's kind of interesting. One of the other challenges we had um, was uh, in order to be a Microsoft um, uh, supplier, you also had to sign patent agreements with what Microsoft and those patent agreements relative to software um, indicated or, or you had to agree that anyone using Microsoft Windows um, was exempt. You could not go after them from an intellectual property standpoint. So uh, we had a challenge in that we had these Amiga patents that were powerful, and but uh, signing an agreement with Microsoft could invalidate our ability to use them. Um, so uh, the, actually the patents were structured in a corporation in such a way that the agreements with Gateway and Microsoft would not affect the patents, and Gateway did not have... Um, uh, it was in a corporation which Gateway had, I think, only 49% of. So it was an interesting way to shield the patents from any agreements with um, uh, Microsoft. And, uh, and that was important because that also uh, gave us the asset, the Amiga assets, as I was thinking going forward, that those patents would still be very valuable if we could pull them back into an Amiga entity. So sometime around 98 uh, or so, um, I uh, was starting to have uh, questions as to whether Gateway, um, you know, had the right strategy. Uh, and I uh, was losing confidence, to be honest, in the executive team at Gateway. Um, new team that had been brought in, uh, Jeff Whiteson from AT&T, uh, was a phenomenal marketing guy. Don't get me wrong. I, I think Jeff was a great um, executive and a great marketing guy, but he was not a PC guy. Um, it kind of kind of reminds me of the story of Scully at Apple. I mean, just bringing in somebody who was very talented, but you know, understanding um, the core of your market in the, the soul of a company like either Gateway or Apple is very difficult. So, I was um, 
uh, I, I was concerned about Gateway. Um, I was responsible for product development, and my vision for product development at Gateway was to start to differentiate Gateway, um, you know, in, in industrial design and unique innovations. Because um, my thought was that the PC market was commoditizing; you couldn't just keep on pumping out desktop boxes. Gateway was a a one-trick pony. They didn't have a lot of ex experience beyond the desktop, and my thought is we need to expand that. Uh, and uh, I didn't see completely eye to eye with uh, Whiteson, the CEO, and he had requested a significant amount of autonomy from uh, from uh, Ted Wait, who is now the chairman. So Whiteson said he would only take the position if he had total control over um, you know the direction of the company, and so. Um, my feeling was Gateway was going in the wrong direction. So mm -hmm. that's when I started to think about Amiga, and I started to think about how um, you know the community was still there, and I started to think about how Amiga could be the vehicle to actually uh, execute the vision that I, I I wanted to see in the marketplace of you know completely different, a next generation of kind of computer um, environment and computing environment. And um, uh, so I, I decided um, it was, uh, I think, a decision after I realized that there were the, 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 the plans we had for Gateway for the next year, um, you know, were not very exciting. So I decided to uh, tell Ted I wanted to take a run at um, bringing Amiga, um, you know, back to life in a really big way. It was already alive and there was always some really good things there, but really trying to grow it again into a major force in the marketplace. And that's what ended up getting me to the Amiga. Um, and it was interesting because, um, so I, I, I took the position of president of Amiga um, and I had a lot to learn. I didn't know much about the community. And I, to be honest, I was, I was surprised, extremely surprised and extremely pleased when I finally got over to Europe and finally started to see, um, you know, the Amiga community because it was, uh, an incredibly talented army of individuals that I felt could, um, you know, if we could get the right plan, we could together, you know, create this uh, phenomenal platform again. Um, so I started hiring in the U.S., uh, executives finding the right people. Um, you know, one of the key people I picked up at that time was Dr. Dr. Alan Havamos, who was a uh, had worked on the original uh, operating system of the Amiga and um, really was an enthusiast and was a, and, and I'm sure still is a brilliant uh, software architect. Um, and um, it was interesting because within Gateway in, in San Diego, we had moved to San Diego by then. Uh, we kind of had the offices of Amiga and we were almost like the rebels and the renegades uh, within Gateway. Um, you know, I, I had to start uh, planning and executing kind of a strategy that um, would uh, break us off from Gateway in a way where Gateway could not hinder Amiga. And um, you know what uh, what happened uh, was um, it became a very political uh, uh, move. Uh, what I was trying to do with um, uh, with Amiga. Uh, you know, I was determined to not let a, the large corporate bureaucracy at Gateway um, completely kill the, the innovation at Amiga. And so 
I had to plan on how do we spin Amiga off as a separate entity in such a way that Amiga, um, that a gateway did not have um, controlling interest of Amiga. Um, and so that entailed a few things. Um, it, it entailed one, going out and finding other investors outside of Gateway that would be interested in putting the major investment into Amiga. Uh, and um, uh, I had gone out and, and was talking to uh, venture capitalists and, and other groups and I was fairly confident that I could line up um, you know, a $10 million financing outside of Gateway. Uh, and then what I had to do internally is convince Gateway um, to let the external investment company come in and make the major investment and uh, take Gateway down to a, a less than 40%, um, you know, with 40% being kind of a maximum I wanted Gateway to own of the company. Um, and you know, my, my challenge was that it was going to be a difficult thing um, to get leverage to get done. Um, part of the strategy that I had was also a strategy of knowing how Gateway worked. They were at a point in time, how they operated and, and what their goals were. And they were at a point in time where they were really starting to struggle on a quarterly basis relative to revenues and relative to profitability. Um, so I knew that, uh, you know, the one thing that we could do is, um, you know, by continuing to invest in uh, Amiga as an expense and deferring those expenses um, and um, capitalizing these expenses, uh, we had created a, a, a opportunity where there was a liability to Gateway if they did shut down Amica. Um, there were, uh, you know, if, if Gateway decided, no, we're not going to go that route and uh, shut it down, there'd, there'd be a several million dollar hit on their P&L for the quarter. And I thought, I thought that Gateway would never want to do that. So uh, I pushed pretty hard. Um, uh, to, to, you know, to try to um, execute that plan. Um, and uh, what happened is, uh, you know, Gateway at that time, Whiteson, who was the CEO, um, he, uh, um, him and I probably butted heads as executives, um, you know, more than most executives should. I think part of it had to do with the product vision I had and the direction Gateway was going. Uh, and, he was not really excited about the plan I had for Amiga. He, he just he didn't see the vision first of all. Um, and uh, uh, number one, number two, uh, he did not want to let um, controlling interest of Amiga. Um, he did not want to let it uh, go. Um, so uh, you know, I uh, and so that was a, in my opinion, a, a horrible combination of. You know, being connected to a large company that had controlling interest, whose main person did not see where we were going and what the vision of Amiga was. Um, so I took a very strong stance. I basically took the position that, um, you know, if uh, Gateway was not going to um, allow Amiga to stand truly independently, then I was not interested in trying to execute the plan because my feeling was it would be a failure. Um, it'd be another large corporation, you know, like what happened with um, you know Commodore that just basically came in and and just stifled the community and stifled um, the plan. Um, so I took a strong stance and. Uh, 
uh, I thought that I had the leverage to pull it off. And what what happened um, was uh, uh, <laughs> very painful, I think, part of my life. Um, but uh, my um, um, chief operating officer of Amiga that I had hired in to basically handle all the operations and finances and everything, um, he went behind my back because uh, we, as an executive team, I should say, all of us were very well in line and connected and we were, you know, the rebels and we would talk about the plan and how we we're going to execute it and how we had leverage to pull out of Gateway and uh, not that we were doing anything that was, uh, we think, uh, unethical or illegal. We were, we, we believed just kind of forcing an executive decision that was the right decision. Um, but we all talked about it and we were all in together and it was a very exciting um, time for all of the executives. But the, the operations guy that I had um, ended up going behind my back uh, to Weiss and the CEO and say, basically telling him, listen, uh, if you want to shut this down, I can actually help you sell the assets so we don't take a quarterly hit, um, you know, from a profit standpoint. Uh, and he gave him everything he needed to be able to make the decision um, uh, to, you know, basically tell me no. He wasn't going to let the Amiga be a separate, truly separate uh, entity, not controlled by Gateway. Uh, and so it was a battle between me and at that time the CEO. And, you know, the interesting thing is, you know, I had uh, a really good relationship with Ted Waite. I'd been with him for a long time. I really really respect the guy he was a phenomenal um person very smart um so i always thought that you know i always um you know pull this up to ted uh you know at that point the chairman and you know get a resolve so i thought i had i thought i was covered in many different ways but what ended up happening um was ted took a vacation for uh three weeks um and um basically uh was unavailable uh, for three weeks to to be contacted. Uh, and as soon as Ted took that vacation, uh, Weitzen uh, pulled me in and basically told me he was shutting down Amiga because he knew I couldn't get to Ted at that time. Um, so politically, I played a game and I lost. Uh, and I think I would have won that game except that I had somebody in my organization that went behind my back and um, really kind of explained the whole thing and gave our, our uh, you know, opponent our game plan and basically uh, gave them enough to be able to shut it down and get what they needed. Um, so that was very painful because um, I really believed in the community and I, I believed uh, in the plan. And, um, and I was, uh, I think, you know, uh, I took a gamble that we should either be all in, 100% independent, or else um, I was going to end up disappointing uh, the Amiga community and, and we were not going to be able to execute. Um, you know, but uh, I will say that in hindsight, I think back to this um, many times, and in hindsight, I would have probably done something differently. Um, I probably, in hindsight, would have not taken such a strong position. Um, I probably would have just negotiated to get the best deal we could have uh, because 
The sad thing is, is I think six or nine months after this occurred, uh, Whiteson was gone. I mean, what happened was, you know, Gateway was in such trouble. Um, it was interesting, you know, I left Gateway in late 99 um, in, in the fourth quarter. The stock at that time was $85 a share, I remember, because I executed mm -hmm. all of my options to get out of Gateway. And, um, and I think within two or three quarters, the stock was um, under $10 a share. Um, so what happened was Gateway did fall apart, and Whiteson, um, you know, was, you know, uh, as a, you know, being in charge of Gateway, obviously uh, had a falling out with Ted, um, and uh, ended up uh, leaving uh, or was asked to leave. I don't know the exact details. Um, Gateway within two or three quarters. Um, which is painful for me because, you know, the person who I thought was going to be the biggest impediment to Amiga being successful was gone. So if I had been able to uh, be more patient, um, you know, think about the fact that within 12 months or so, we could have readjusted and solved the problem maybe, um, and the fact that Whiteson may not, may not uh, be there long term. Um, we may have been able to, to maintain it, um, but I didn't. I made the decision that I wanted it all. I wanted to have, you know, the best opportunity to succeed, and I didn't want to compromise. Uh, and it ended up, uh, you know, and it ended up not working out. Um, so that that is the the story, basically, of what happened uh, behind the scenes. Mm, this is, uh, I think. Uh... Yeah, this is the truth that the the rest of Amiga community need to know because there there was a lot of um, options that that people they they they, they thinking about this this and uh, do you know or do you assume why he did it because this was the um, uh, not like the Amiga or. Uh, he did it because of a couple things. One is um, he didn't believe in the plan, so he didn't see. And the challenge with Whiteson, he was a great marketing person, but he was not a visionary. He could not see, um, you know, the vision of what a product could be, where the market was going, this new kind of computer revolution occurring. Uh, so from his standpoint, he wasn't excited about the plan. That's the first step. And the second one is. Um, you know, he was very strong-willed in that he did not want to give up control of Amiga. And I think it had, at that time, maybe become a little bit personal. He did not want to see me uh, succeed, um, mm. you know, because, uh, you know, I I ended up leaving, um, you know, when I was uh, senior vice president of uh, product development and the chief technology officer gateway I ended up leaving. I'm the one who basically said, I, I don't want this position anymore. Um, I believe that, you know, your product vision of Gateway and where I want to go with it is is not is different and I'm not excited about it. So let me go with Amiga. And I think that was an a um, you know, I think that was an insult to to Whiteson and he felt that I was being insubordinate um, and that I was not being a team player. So I don't think he had. He, I don't think he really wanted to see me succeed. And and I should say again, I want to be careful here. I don't want to paint Whiteson 
uh, as a, a, a villain because he wasn't. Um, it was, you can have disagreements and, and someone can be, um, you know, disciplinarian and firm, but still be a good person. And, and he was a good person uh, and he was a very talented person, but uh, I don't believe he had grasped the vision of technology and how it changes lives and, and really the product vision of where it could go. Uh, number one and number two, I think he came out of an environment, AT&T, where it was very much command and control. Uh, you do exactly what the executive team or the, the CEO wants you to do. Um, so although he was a, a nice, talented person, I think he wasn't a, a great fit for Gateway. And I think, um, you know, he had different ways of, of managing, and, and I, uh, I rubbed that the wrong way. Um, so he didn't see the vision. I don't think he cared to, you know, um, that Amiga would be successful, and I don't think he... Um, you know, wanted me to go off and be the one to make it successful. So those three things, I think, uh, led to his decision that said, I don't want to deal with it. Uh, let's just shut it down. Okay, so uh, the, maybe the first question is, uh, this is the, um, how the team t take, it, take it on the arms because when the, when they, sh or when the gateway shut down the Amiga, the Uh, I think this was not nice, not only for you. There was other people involved in in this uh, Amiga project, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we had a whole whole team. You know, uh, I had a whole executive team, and probably about uh, at that time there may be about 10 people that were working for Amiga. Um, you know, we had uh, um, you know, we had uh, Dr. Alan Havamos, uh, you know, VP of our software. Um, we had a CTO, um, you know, VP of Advanced Technology, Rick Lefebvre. Uh, we had a COO. Uh, he didn't take it wrong because he was the one that effectively initiated or, or enabled the shutdown. Uh, and then we had some other people, sales and marketing, um, you know, product planning, Um, so, um, you know, I think everyone, uh, it was very negative. People were, were um, pretty unhappy about it. And, and I think, uh, you know, the team that I had created, we had a very strong sense of, of a team, uh, being teammates and, and being, um, you know, in, a, in something together. In fact, when I, when I left uh, Amiga and ended up uh, within the next several months launching a new venture, um, two of the people at uh, Amiga, um, uh, or was it three? Three of the people at Amiga ended up coming over and working uh, for me on my new venture. Um, because again, I think, um, you know, I, I, I like to create teams and have a lot of, um, you know, uh, what should I say, camaraderie and uh, have a lot of um, uh, people that are that are really dedicated to the team. Um, I have a current team today that of, eight, of, of 10 people that have been through three ventures with me in eight years. Um, and so this was similar way back when. I had a really good team that I pulled together, uh, pulled some of them out of Gateway into Amiga, and then and pulled then once Amiga ended up uh, shutting down, pulled people into a new venture. Um, but yeah, it was devastating for everybody. I mean, we, we really, really, we think had, um, the right vision to, to have a significant comeback with Amiga. Um, and, and 
you know, if you don't mind, Christoph, I, I, if we have time, I'd like to to remind people what that vision was. Of course, uh, this was my, my next question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was, uh, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, the reason I, I really wanted to uh, enable Amiga again in the Amiga community is I, I could see that the computers with the internet uh, were really going to shift significantly. Um, you know, and you remember at this point in time in, in um, you know, 98, 99, uh, there, um, there were a lot of things that weren't there, uh, you know, there, <laughs> that we assume today, but if you look at it, um, you know, there, there, was no, there was no Xbox uh, at that time. Xbox didn't come until 2001. Um, you know, obviously there were no real tablets that were, were popular. Um, obviously the iPod or the iPhone weren't, wasn't there either. Um, you know, so the, the concept of a connected devices in the internet really weren't there. And what, what our vision was, um, and it's interesting because I actually went back through my files and I have some old Amiga documents still. Mm -hmm. um, and I have a, whenever, you know, whenever I work uh, or I manage a, uh, uh, an organization, I always put together uh, what, we, what I call my, um, and work with my executive team to put together what I call VMGI, which is a vision, um, and then a mission, and then goals, and then an initiative. The vision is where we see, you know, the world. The mission is, you know, what is our mission to make the vision occur? The goals are, what goals are we going to reach um, in toward this mission? And then the initiatives are, what do we have to do to meet our goals? And so this is, um, you know, how typically you kind of create something and, and um, you know, make it happen from an executive standpoint. And and I, I have, I still have the vision, the VMGI from, from Amiga. Um, the vision was making computers a natural part of everyday life. It was a pretty simple vision that the world would have computers everywhere and that, um, you know, they were going to be essential to everyday life and whether it be entertainment or, uh, you know, um, uh, productivity or uh, gaming, um, you know, the, the computer was going to take over everyday life. And our mission uh, for that from Amiga was, I'm quoting here, our mission was to create a revolutionary and compelling systems architecture and operating environment for multimedia computers and digital information appliances, which can easily be embedded into consumer computing devices and enables innovative internet services. Um, so that was what we really wanted to, to accomplish. And if you look at some of the components of it that, um, you know, we, we thought was uh, uh, important, um, you know, some of the initiatives that we had, uh, you know, creating a revolutionary, compelling and exciting system architecture and operating environment, uh, create an extremely impressive and easy to use uh, GUI, graphical user interface for common computing, and a compelling universal registration module for consumers. Um, you know, implement a backend infrastructure that would allow for consumer regist uh, registration and then online, online kind of software consumption and content consumption, and then revenue generation for developers. Um, you know, so we had a lot of these goals. You know, we. 
We saw the fusion of computers, the living room console, game machines, tablets, handheld, an open system you know, that was powerful and flexible for the enthusiast um, with a developer uh, computer. Because we had a developer computer, we had a MMC, the, the multimedia computer that yep. would act as a mainstream computer, uh, a gaming uh, console and a TV um, console. And then we had the tablet and handheld uh, and the goal was that we felt that, that this would be a connected environment. Uh, we would create an Amiga ecosystem using, at that time, um, we had this concept of what we called our Amiga objects. Uh, and what that was, um, from an architecture standpoint, what we had uh, done and decided that we would use Linux, of course, as a core architecture. You know, Linux had become extremely popular. There was really no consumer version of Linux, and we felt, felt that Amiga would be the brand to bring Linux to consumers. You know, like you had mentioned, uh, a lot like what Apple um, upgraded their operating system. Uh, the thought was, let's find an operating system that um, you know would be powerful and uh, you know that that would be open source and that we could create a new next environment. So the uh, Linux operating system. But then we wanted beyond just Linux. You know, obviously we'd have our version of Linux uh, for Amiga, but we we wanted to to create something also very distinct and unique. So we we came up with this concept of an Amiga object, which was really a software structure of, of objects that you could create that were aware of their Amiga environment so that you could um, really um, execute an Amiga object in any device. And the Amiga object within a device would connect it to the Amiga environment and allow it to share resources and allow it to communicate. Um, it's kind of interesting because if you if you think about it today, uh, Apple does this with their Apple environment. Um, exactly. You know, you, and and that was the, the vision that we had before Apple even thought about doing it, um, or maybe they thought about doing it but hadn't executed it. So the object environment was important, and it tied everything together, uh, and um, and so we wanted to overlay this Amiga object environment and that would become our distinct part of why Amiga is different, not just a Linux operating system. Um, and, uh, you know, and if you think about it, the, the object environment, we also, and, and this was all Alan Habermos, he, Dr. Alan Habermos had this, you know, we, we talked a lot and, and brainstormed on it, but it was his technical expertise that came up with uh, the concept of an extremely thin piece of uh, or extremely small software object that was very powerful because we wanted it to be able to go anywhere um, which again if you think of today and and the whole trend toward uh, the internet of everything or the internet of things mm -hmm. uh, that was also part of the vision that it should be everywhere um, even at the smallest level of computing as long as we could get an, an Amiga object software um, object in into a device um, then it would be connected to the Amiga environment. Um, so that that was um, you know the first piece of it, and then you know other pieces <clears throat> that you know we uh, were excited about is is we also had what we called a micropayment engine um, embedded into the Amiga uh, operating system and environment was uh, um, the ability to um, have people have consumers. Uh, basically easily pay 
uh, for software, for content, um, so that we could enable developers to just create things and publish them. And then uh, people would download and basically through an Amiga micropayments engine, a common engine everyone would have with a single click, could pay for things and then we could we could uh, share revenue with the developers. Uh, we could share revenue on downloading a device. We could share revenue on consumption of content. Um, so the goal was to really open up um, the opportunity there. And uh, you know, it's kind of interesting again if you think of that. Uh, the app, the app store from Apple, is very similar to what we were thinking again. Exactly. Um, so, so uh, you know, we we we. This is why. We were so excited. We think we really, really had, you know, envisioned a future that could, could really be different. And, and then, then it, it uh, you know, the last piece we had to figure out was um, hardware and uh, what, what, what was going to be the hardware on this device. And this was probably the biggest challenge because, you know, the Amiga community was was enthusiastic. They were obviously. Um, very fanatical about the Amiga hardware and the graphics yeah. capabilities, uh, and uh, you know, and, and for good reasons. I mean, I, I, you know, first time I laid my eyes on Amiga hardware, um, you know, in early '80s, um, I saw exactly what the beauty of it was. Um, so the challenge, of course, was that if, if we tried to do something that was too custom. Uh, then we would not be able to necessarily get the cost, um, you know, price points that we needed. Because, um, you know, the one thing, just so people, the one thing that fueled the PC industry is what's called a, a horizontal industry. Uh, vertical industry is when things are, are vertically, um, you know, structured, where, you know, the, the company that makes the computer makes everything down and all the different parts. A horizontal in industry is when all the parts are interchangeable, um, so you can you know get different uh, chipsets and system boards and you know um, you know uh, cases and keyboards and so on, and they're all interchangeable. So it becomes a horizontal industry in that any develop any supplier can develop product for that uh, platform, and that significantly reduces the cost and it increases um, you know the efficiency and the the performance of, of devices so um, you know what we struggled with is you know how much do we use that is common standard um, you know and uh, how much do we create that's unique um, you know uh, uh, a great example of, of you know this thought is you know look at Apple they ended up having to go with an Intel processor because at some point in time what they realized was the processor isn't all that important um, the environment that we're creating and the software and the connectivity and everything that makes us, you know, Apple and the Apple experience is what's important. And we don't really care what processor it runs on. Um, and so, you know, it, it kind of leads me to, it's interesting, it kind of leads me to um, what what were the some of the biggest challenges that I had in winning over the Amiga community um, you know, because it was an extremely impressive community of developers. They were very smart. Um, you know, they, they knew technology. 
and you know they knew it better than I did. So making decisions on you know the architecture and the technology from a hardware standpoint was very difficult because I knew that certain things were built in already to the community. They hated Intel and they yeah. hated PC standards. <laughs> they probably still do. Exactly. Um, <laughs> you know, so the challenge is, um, you know, how do I pick a, a differentiator from a processor standpoint? And, and yet, how do we be realistic that we need to compete in a mass market? Um, so we were, we were out looking at a lot of different opportunities um, to try to figure out. You know, there was obviously a very strong push to maintain the PowerPC, um, you know, architecture. And uh, that was definitely being considered, but uh, the, we never came to a conclusion on this. We just uh, were doing a lot of research. We're also at the time looking at a, a company called Transmeta, mm -hmm. uh, which made a Intel compatible uh, processor. But what made it very unique is Transmeta um, uh, was programmable at the microcode level, where you could program uh, instructions you know, be below the instruction set. And therefore, we were thinking of potentially, um, you know, using an Intel compatible processor, but at the same time, um, programming specific Amiga specific instructions and maybe even the core pieces of the Linux operating system at a microcode level that would give it an advantage from a speed standpoint. But but we didn't completely vet that out and, and the challenge is they, they didn't have the bandwidth from a graphics and I.O. standpoint. So yeah, there were a lot of challenges there. I mean, we would have had to come to a conclusion. We, we didn't, but there were a lot of things we were taking into consideration. Um, and then... Uh, the other, I think the other challenge a little bit um, with, uh, you know, making sure we had a common vision, um, all of us together with the community was the embracing the role um, in mainstream products uh, and not just uh, focusing on the enthusiast and developer products and, you know, the gaming and, and the graphics, you know, how do we, how do we spread beyond that? Um, and you know, I think uh, I remember I gave a few presentations and I think people started warming up to it and started understanding that, you know, we can create an Amiga environment that has all the excitement that the Amiga, um, you know, a community, uh, you know, wants from a, a powerful, open you know, developer platform uh, to a strong, you know, gaming graphics performance. But at the same time, we could create something that was also revolutionary from a mainstream standpoint, get Amiga everywhere. Uh, and, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, get it into every computer appliance that's out there. And, um, and I think people were, were embracing that. I think it was a, a, a shift, but I think people embraced it. Um, so, you know, if you look at some of the things that we were looking at, as I talked about, we, you know, we had our, our MMC was meant to be a, really a gaming machine that could sit under, uh, you know, in a living room, but at the same time, a multimedia computer. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the interesting thing is, you know, it was very much obviously like the Xbox, uh, you know, but, uh, um, you know, before, you know, even two years before the, the Xbox uh, was even announced. Um, you know, our, our, our thoughts on a connected environment, uh, you know, again, I think all of that uh, plays very well into where the world is today. 
the thought, thoughts about this Amiga ecosystem, the thoughts about the, the micropayments, a consolidated, centralized way of consumers to consume apps and content. Um, so, you know, I think we were going in the right directions in a lot of different areas. So I think back a lot about Amiga and what could have been. Um, and it, uh, it, it actually saddens me quite a lot because I think we, we could have become um, a, a really good challenger to Apple. I think at the time that Amiga was taking off, you know, Apple was, um, you know, even, them, even Apple was at its point of um, really starting to plan all of these different pieces. And I think we, we had very similar um, plans. I think the difference uh, where, where Amiga differed, I think, to some extent, is I think that, that Amiga um, would have a different flavor of community. I think that you can imagine, uh, as an example, the Apple, the Apple uh, platform um, is really not very good for hardcore, hardcore gaming. Uh, yep. So you still have hardcore gaming um, enthusiasts are still using a PC platform. Um, so my thought would be that Amiga would probably be more like a, a, a fusion. It would be very Apple-like from an environment standpoint and from what we were trying to do. But it would also, though, have a very hardcore gaming capabilities and would not lose the open architecture that people wanted to create these amazing you know, um, machines, um, from a, you know, from a gaming standpoint and from a developer standpoint. So that was going to be the, the challenge was how do we balance it out? I wanted to maintain the talent and the enthusiasm of the developers of the Amiga community and give them something that they truly believed was, you know, their system. Um, and they were excited about, but then I also wanted to create something that the you know the the standard uh, a normal individual on a daily basis would be touching Omega some way, um, but that uh, I think that's a good recap of where we were at. Wow! So this this sounds good because, like you mentioned, Jonathan, uh, this is more or less like Apple now do it or, or like Google did it as well uh, and uh, I don't know but maybe the question is uh, uh, someone has the interest if I'm thinking about the Microsoft of Apple or Google Google there was no there yeah. uh, about big players to stop the Amiga or to stop you to doing this Because maybe this is somehow connected with shutdowning the project, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I think I don't. I don't think so. I don't think we had we had enough visibility in the market yet. I don't think anyone was paying attention to us um, from a beyond the Amiga community. Um, I think we would have started to get that type of publicity very soon. Um, but um, you know, I think. Uh, You know, I, I think we would have had a lot of runway uh, to to take off with this plan because I don't think anyone would have taken, um, would have feel, felt threatened by Amiga uh, for the first year or two. And I think by, by then, like I said, I think the Amiga community was this amazing army of enthusiasts and talent 
that if if it had just been unleashed with the right environment, would have just quickly overtaken um, you know uh, a big part of the industry. So um, you know, I think I think we had a really good really good shot at it. Um, which again makes it uh, all the sadder. Um, like I said, it was the most, you know, um, satisfying and exciting time in my career, getting to know the Amiga community and the talent there and uh, the type of people that were involved. And then it was also the, you know, the biggest, you know, disappointment in my career. Um, you know, having lost that opportunity um, and having to move on. Um, it's one I, I think about over and over again. I've thought about, um, you know, in the last uh, 10, 15 years. Yeah, this is very sad because uh, this was the chance for the Amiga to, to, to be the, in mainstream and for you to be... Uh, one of the famous guys in the world probably so and for us to be uh, yeah in the mainstream like, like I said or to, to make the trends like Apple and now do it uh, can you tell me something about the Amiga MCCC this was the mock-up only or there was some more hardware inside or something um, no on the Amiga the MMC We had yet to start um, development. Uh, the The good news, though, is that um, we um, we felt that we could develop it fairly quickly uh, once we had determined what components we wanted to put in place. Um, and so we were developing. You know, we were working obviously with the Linux operating system and and the graphical user interfaces and trying to you know pulling all that together. Uh, but we were still in the midst of making final decisions on the MMC. We had not decided on a CPU. Um, you know, we um, really didn't want to go with Intel because the community um, didn't want it. Um, but at the same time, uh, we weren't sure if we'd be able to compete with um, any other CPU. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm, I'm sure this is a, you know, a very difficult and challenging type of decision that even Apple had to make, uh, which is, you know, how do we do that? Now, we, we you know, the thought the thought was really it would be one of two things. I mean, we would have either gone with the, uh, you know, uh, you know, with a Motorola processor that would have, you know, been very comfortable with the community um, and then w- would have been easier from a standpoint of getting acceptance or, We would have gone with an Intel processor um, or an Intel compatible processor, um, but we would have had to put a lot of effort into external hardware to make sure that we differentiated the hardware from other components. Um, but uh, you know, um, you know, the the minimum. I, I'll say that there were a couple of options. The simplest option would have been to you know design something that was very much like a PC, but to work with graphics companies uh, to maybe um, create, you know, at that time, I think uh, probably would have been uh, ATI or NVIDIA 
um, had really I had really good relationships with the graphics companies, and so the thought was, you know, by working closely with the engineers, you know, could we um, really uh, take the graphics cards that they have um, and, and and put them down on a board uh, and really squeeze the most performance possibly out of those. Um, you know, making sure we have the widest buses and, and even doing things like overclocking and so on. So one, one thing that would have been, it would have been a very exciting machine, would have been, you know, uh, really almost like one of today's, you know, e e extreme enthusiast gaming machines with the overclocked, C um, overclocked CPUs and graphics boards that are extremely powerful. Um, you know, that would have been the easy way to go because, you know, really was using components that were available, but, but integrating them in such a way where we optimize performance. Um, and then the other extreme, of course, was doing a lot of, you know, doing some custom work uh, relative to actual things like graphics and using, um, you know, a non-Intel processor. And, and you know, the, the challenge was uh, that would have been an incredible amount of time, effort, cost, money, and we're not sure we would have been guaranteed a better performing machine. So um, those were the dilemmas. Did not have a conclusion yet. And probably, I think I remember the next step was to get thought leaders in the industry, in the Amiga community. Um, I, I was remembered thinking, this is a really hard decision. I cannot make this decision, you know, in a vacuum on my own or even within mm -hmm. our group. Uh, and that I was going to pick a, a you know a, a team of people that represented the Amiga community that were were um, um, you know uh, admired by all uh, that had great reputations and I was going to to kind of pull together you know um, you know some type of um, event where a handful maybe about a dozen of these people and us could get together and we would bring all the information we had and we would just pound out what the track, what the the solution would be, understanding the pros and the cons and the costs and the time frames and so on, and come to a conclusion as a group. You know, and hopefully, what we would have done then is whatever that conclusion was, um, the, I think the community would have uh, accepted it because the the you know, leaders of that community would have been involved in making that decision. Uh, and then we would have to accept it if even if it was something that I would have thought maybe I would have made that decision um, I would have been very open to, to shifting strategies because a community was the most important thing if we We lost the respect and the enthusiasm of the EMEA community. It would never work So even if it ended up being something that cost more took more time um, and potentially didn't have exactly the performance uh, if the community would be behind it I would have gone that way my hope was that we'd be able to get the community behind a decision that also was the easiest to execute from a business standpoint but again we hadn't taken that step yet mm -hmm. and um, uh, one more maybe because this is true this is co communities as well now in Apple is very powerful uh, but in Amiga now is uh, I, I next I will t tell you what happens now but um, about the community because the biggest community was and is uh, in Europe for for the Amiga and um, did you have some or have you got some connections with European 
Amiga part or this was mostly based in Germany yeah, in these days. So how the works was going or something like this. Well, we, I, I, my, I had a complete understanding that the Amiga community really was a European community. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I spent, uh, several trips out, um, you know, in the, in the six months before, uh, to the Amiga community and, and had contacts into the Amiga community. And, uh, um, I think it, it would have been the European Amiga community that, uh, I would have tapped into and we, whatever event we would have held, uh, we probably would have been out there in Europe, um, with the leaders of the Amiga community. because that's where, that's where the core was. Um, and, uh, you know, in the U S, uh, obviously there were still uh, a community here, but I think much smaller, much less enthusiastic. Yep. This is, this is, this looks like the, like this. Uh, okay, so this is yeah, this is very sad <laughs> and very interesting. Uh, what I want to uh, ask now, maybe, of course, in in Amiga uh, from Amiga point of view, but let's forget. I'm not asking about exactly Amiga, but there are a lot of old companies like Amiga, Atari. If somebody wants to make a back to the future for them to make this, uh, how is this possible? Or is, is it possible or now the free players, uh, Google, Apple, Microsoft, they are, uh, this is all, will never happen new for us something? Hmm. Yeah, well, I think it, it it's possible. I think it is. I think the challenge is... Um, that you know smaller companies you know come uh, or emerge into powerful players when there are shifts in the marketplace that create an opportunity where a large bureaucratic company can't move fast enough and uh, internally can't can't move or can't get their hands around a vision and this is very common i mean there's there's um in very large companies once they get to a certain size You know, even if the CEO has a vision or the executive team has a vision, pushing it all the way down and making it happen is very difficult. So whenever there's a change in direction in the industry, if a new emerging product category or technology or environment starts to emerge that is in high demand from a consumer standpoint, the small companies can typically come in and very quickly you know, become the leader in a space. Uh, and that happens over and over and over again. If you look at the The, the, the huge companies that you're talking about now, every one of those companies, um, you know, basically came out of an inflection point in the industry. Even, you know, even Microsoft. I mean, way back when, when Microsoft put their operating system into a PC, um, there were a lot of big computer companies, but um, they were the ones that quickly moved into creating the standard for the PC. Um, you know, even uh, you talked about... Um, You know, uh, you know, we talked about um, Google. companies like Google or Facebook, and if you look at, uh, you know, they should they should dominate everything. But then you you still have companies that emerge like uh, you know Twitter and Snapchat. Um, that, uh, or to be honest with you, even if you look at it, even Facebook, uh, Google was established. Um, you know, there were established companies already, but Facebook came out. Uh, and you know when social media took off, 
uh, became the next big thing. But Facebook became a big thing because you know social media was new mm-hmm. and other people hadn't figured it out yet. Um, so the opportunity is going to exist when a um, a market dynamic emerges that allows for a new player, a new type of environment. Um, and I don't know, I don't know yet what what that is. Um, you know, if you look on the horizon, and, and a lot of times you can't tell until it comes up very quickly. Um, so you have to keep an eye out on the horizon to figure out, you know, what is it that could be exciting to the market that a big company can't move fast enough on and that we can, um, you know, we can excel in. Um, and, you know, you look at, um, you know, maybe, you know, the, the Internet of Things is, is obviously becoming a big uh, trend right now. Uh, and even though every large company is talking about it and thinking about it, um, they're not going to be the ones that come up with the killer app and, and the, um, you know, the, the, the product that really makes it take off. Um, it's going to be, in my opinion, a smaller company that figures out, um, you know, what is the best way to bring this into the marketplace such that it touches the most people and gets people excited. Um, I am not, I am so far removed right now from the computer industry that I couldn't even venture to say what that um, you know next inflection point. What's that next opportunity for a company to emerge? Um, and um, you know, as you probably know, I I'm currently in the uh, financial technology and financial services industry. Um, you know, I uh, entered this industry about uh, six to eight. Um, it's kind of interesting. I entered it six or eight years ago. Because I saw an inflection point, um, I saw uh, the digital banking revolution occurring, uh, where now financial services and banks and payments and all of those, um, there there was a revolution occurring, and that revolution was going to uh, require uh, consumer-focused products, user experiences that the fintech or financial technology industry had no experience with. So. My strategy was to take all of my high-tech consumer product experience and the user experience and a team of people that really understand how to create consumer products and bring it into the banking industry because I know that that industry is an extremely powerful channel, but they don't know how to create consumer products. Um, And so that's what my company does. We create great consumer products for banks. Um, But, uh, you know, that takes me completely out of the mainstream computer industry and I, I, I don't have much experience there anymore. Okay, uh, but but I think uh, I must ask you about the Amiga vision for, for now. Uh, this is only question, nothing, but I make a short background uh, because now the still Amiga is uh, alive somehow. Yeah, uh, Last yeah. year we have 30 years of Amiga. Uh, and the community is very small and the best of this is is divided in three parts. There's official Amiga OS, uh, still alive. There is the uh, Morph OS. This is the um, something like Amiga compatible operating uh-huh. system. And another one, Aeros, this is more or less compatible system for Intel. 
the Amiga OS uh, is for PowerPC. And uh, now the, the guys behind, they, they are two companies, Hyperion making the Amiga OS and the Aeon making the hardware. Mm -hmm. uh, and my question is, uh, maybe advice this is for the community and for, the, for them, because the community is divided. In my opinion, it's wrong. And the new computer costs $3,000. And this is a little bit expensive. What we can do to, yeah, to make the Amiga better, maybe not in mainstream, but to have the 40 years birthday anniversary, not to die. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I have not given that a lot of thought. I, I uh, you know, it's it's an interesting question. I would really like to think about and um, you know and uh, understand more what uh, what Amiga is looking to do. Just because um, you know I I have the, the curiosity there, um, but I think it's a hard question to answer because uh, you know as you mentioned, um, you know something that is a a low volume enthusiast machine is difficult to get the price points. Uh, and so you can end up with, um, you know, uh, an expensive computer that never, never makes it into a higher volume. If, uh, um, in that, that may be, that may be okay. That may be, uh, still, a product category that maybe isn't tens of millions of computers, but maybe it's tens of thousands. Maybe mm -hmm. it gets up to, you know, a million plus, um, which could still be a success. Uh, it seems like the, the, the goal, uh, and I, and I should mention, I mean, it looks like, you know, obviously with the way you're going is, um, a fairly powerful, expensive computer. Uh, what, what, if you were to look at the core applications that people are looking for on this, um, Christoph, what is what are people looking for to do with this new Amiga? Hmm, this is the the um, I think, or from my point of view, uh, for for sure, I need the web browser, yeah, because I want to new uh, to use the internet normally. And on Amiga, it's not so easy because the community is so small that there is not enough developers to, for example, port the Firefox or Chrome on it on it and this is the biggest problem because i think the new computer or new player must be connected to internet 100% uh, and uh, the question is is other um, killer apps it's it's hard to say what i think the the, the st standard stuff that you need uh, to edit uh, movies or to make the music but more or less is this possible on Amiga now, now. Uh, but um, there's no new games, or there, there are a few of them, yeah? So yeah. I, I was thinking, because the, um, I don't know how it's in US, but in Europe, the, the I will say the retro movement uh, is very popular now. Everybody wants to buy the old Amiga, make it beautiful, run mm. the, some games. And I don't know, maybe the... We should use the the retro power to bring the Amiga back somehow, yeah. In, not in mainstream, but the thousands, like you said, yeah. It will be yeah. better than one thousand. Yeah. Interesting. 
Yeah, um, it's interesting. Has it, has anyone um, built an Amiga emulator that runs on um, that runs on a PC or a Mac? Yeah, yeah. So, the, there is the Win UAE and oh. the FS uh, FS UAE. So this is the first is for Windows and the second is for uh, Mac Linux, and this is quite popular. This is the, I think this is the most popular Amiga now. Yeah. <laughs> and the cheapest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was going to say, of course, um, you know, that seems like an obvious one. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, the reason I hesitate to answer is, uh, um, you know, I, I, I don't want to come off as being able to answer a very, difficult and complex question, and especially when you have a lot of, I'm sure, very talented people in the community working on this. Um, I, I really, I'm really not, at this point in time, I'm really not qualified to make suggestions. I don't want to come off sounding as if I know what I'm talking about. And, and uh, you know, I think, well, you have a lot of very talented people. Um, but, um, you know, I, I, I I don't know. It's a tough. It's a tough. Mm. It's a tough challenge. It really is. I don't have an answer. I think the opportunity, you know, uh, maybe the thing to do is, you know, someone really needs to take a really good look at, um, you know, the market overall, market research, what people are doing, who's using them, um, maybe even look at. Um, you know, uh, the enthusiast market on, on PCs and who's using them and what, what people are doing on those. Maybe try it again, trying to identify a trend of some type that where the MEGA can excel um, mm -hmm. becomes, you know, the, the system to get specifically for, um, you know, a certain market segment, maybe a fairly small market segment, but uh, one that, that's there and then optimize everything for that. Um, but uh, it's uh, interesting, um, you know. Uh, you know the thought. Um, there's two ways to go. You know, you you can go the route you're going, which is create the most powerful machine that you possibly can, of course, and and um, you know that's exciting. But there's the the other route. A lot of times, new products emerge. Um, really uh, uh, when they, they do a paradigm shift, I mean, they uh, um, can't remember the term right now, but something comes in that is, that is cheap, um, but, uh, you know, uh, available to many people and little by little it adds capabilities and, and becomes, um, you know, kind of a, a new trend that takes over. Um, it's uh, that's disruptive. It's disruptive technology, so to speak. I mean, it's technology that you know, starts uh, really with a niche product that um, you know only does certain things, but it does it really well. And little by little, the niche increases to the point where it starts to take over mainstream products. But usually, that has to be something fairly cheap. I mean, a, a great example of just disruptive technology: um, transistors, as an example, uh, mm -hmm. used to be, you know. People used to use vacuum tubes uh, in electronics, and then the transistor came out really just to do one thing, to miniaturize and really to create a transistor radio, uh, something very small, not very powerful. No one anticipated that transistors and in, in integrated circuits would replace all these 
different tubes and everything. But little by little, transistors became more powerful, uh, more functional. And of course, you know, everything's a transistor now. Um, so where do you create that? Uh, you know, how do you create that transistor in this market? Um, interesting, um, you know, another interesting angle, and I could be completely off on this, but you know, there are, there are these uh, these these really low cost kind of enthusiast kits of mar where people will will get a little CPU board and product, um, and then create things on it, uh, creating a new generation of enthusiasts. Um, you know, so something that could be could be if you could port it down to a level to get new people excited with you know Amiga and what it can possibly do um, and then build a group of people <laughs> from young growing old to you know to know the Amiga name and to seek out you know the, the Amiga systems as they get older that's another thing to look at mm. possibly like um, a Raspberry Pi, yeah. This is the, yeah. Uh, It'd be interesting to have a Raspberry Pi version of you know Amiga with you know with the uniqueness that it has. Uh, you know th th that um, you know that could be uh, you know, something that uh, could be interesting. The goal there would be to you know try to build your community. Um, it, You know, rather than trying to win over new enthusiasts to the Amiga, which is difficult uh, with an expensive machine, um, you try to uh, grow your own enthusiast um, by by giving some magic at the uh, you know at a low cost level to people that um, you know may want to may use it. Um, I could imagine you know a little really cheap type of machine that runs all of the old Amiga games. Um, and that has some kind of connectivity to the new Amiga One, um, but that gets people involved, you know, early on in, in uh, you know, excited about you know the Amiga brand. Um, mm -hmm. But that's a very long-term play. That is your 10-year play. So yes, uh, but uh, yeah, and the, our community is quite old, um, but. Uh, Maybe another question. Uh, sorry, I, I try to finish, but I, I have one question. Oh, okay. um, uh, or two questions. I can connect it. Uh, the, the, back to the gateway times. How hard, hard was to buy the Amiga? There was a lot of guys who want to buy this, or, or the gateway was alone, and and nowadays if the Amiga trademark is still value something or this is completely past? Well, I think, uh, I don't, um, it was the, uh, our legal team took the lead um, on purchasing the patents. So I was not, um, uh, although I was involved in identifying and uh, The decision to to get the Amiga patents, I wasn't involved in the process, um, mm. but I, I think that Gateway got lucky. I think that um, there was an opportunity that Gateway found, and uh, before it was very visible with a lot of people, Gateway picked up the patents. But uh, that's my recollection, but it may not be accurate. Uh, and the Amiga brand itself, um, uh, I think it's obviously it's valuable to to the community. Um, And uh, how valuable it, it is outside of that to, 
to others is only really going to depend on, you know, how successful, um, you know, the community is, is in, in pushing the Amiga brand out. So there's no value right now to the Amiga brand, I think, beyond uh, outside of the community. Um, although I should say if, if, if you could push out a product, um, there is some, you know, retro or nostalgia with Amiga mm. where it may be easier to push um, an Amiga product and that brand may resonate with some people and it could create, it could, it could increase in value very quickly. Okay, so this is um, makes sense. Uh, yes, I want to ask you something more, but I forgot it. <laughs> okay, it is, but this is um, quite interesting, and um, yeah, I don't know what I. Okay, but uh, let's. Uh, what you can? Ah, no, no. This is now, now, now. Good question because. Last year, like I mentioned it, there was 30 years of Amiga. Uh, and um, in five years or four years, it will be, let's hope, 35 years of Amiga. Uh, do you think can you can uh, join some event? Because, for example, uh, the, the I, I will say the VIPs of Amiga, like uh, RJ, RJ Michael, Uh, Dave Haney, Petro Tyschenko, they are uh, yeah, going to these meetings. And um, do you think if somebody invites you, you can join something like, like this to celebrate, to, to tell the, the story like now? Uh, there's an opportunity. The, the challenge I have is I am in the midst of launching a rarely, fairly new company, um, and uh, getting financing and, and I'm working probably 60, 70 hours a week and I have two young children in top of my older children. Mm -hmm. So time-wise, it would be difficult, but uh, in the next year, this may all change. Um, uh, financing may come in and, and I may be uh, um, much more available. So I would love to do something like that if the opportunity was there and if I had the time to do it. Um, But, uh, you know, it, uh, uh, there's some priorities I have right now that um, it's very hard for me to break away from. But, uh, you know, if something like this happens in a few years, it would be very interesting to see. Mm, very nice, because uh, I think this could be interesting for you, because um, like RJ said, the, the community is still powerful. It's small, but the... You see the excitement in the guys, yeah, and uh, still for the old Amigas, we produce the the community or the, the guys behind this produce the, the new stuff, <laughs> new hardware, new software. So it can be interesting for you after so many years, there's still something there. And maybe you can buy even for you Amiga and yeah. come back. <laughs> Yeah, it'd be interesting. Yeah, that's, um, that's uh, I'm not. Uh, it's kind of interesting. The reason I hesitate again, like I mentioned, I'm I'm such in a different space right now in financial services and everything. But you know, my passion was definitely back with computers, and and uh, the opportunity with Amiga was a big part of um, excitement for me. But um, you know, that uh, that'd be interesting to see what happens. 
exactly so we'll see we still have the time because like i said this must be something like 35 years or 40 years because when it's 31 it's not so exciting <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay so i think i more or less i ask you everything and i, I already took you a lot of time uh, do you want to say something more or i i I should ask you something about, or I miss something in our inter interview. Um, no, I think it was very thorough. Um, I think it was very thorough. I think I, I uh, you know, I've, I have extremely fond, you know, um, you know, memories of Amiga, and and I have a, an incredible amount of respect for uh, the community and the people that have persevered. Um, Yeah, I'm hoping that some opportunity comes along that allows uh, you know the Amiga brand to gain some more traction again. Um, yeah, so. it would be nice. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so again, thank you for your for your time. And the the last part of this, I I want to, to ask you if you want to say something uh, nice to community or do you remember some somebody from the past years <laughs> and uh, something like this. Well, I I, uh, I think overall, um, and, and and I remember people and I remember faces, but names escape me. I'm not, I'm not very good at remembering. So, uh, but you know, as I said before, uh, you know, the Amiga experience for me was one of the highlights of my fairly long career, um, and uh, it's kind of interesting because it was the the. It really was the last opportunity for me to be in the PC market. Once once I left Amiga, I think I decided no more PCs. I, mm -hmm. I think that was no way for me to to ever find an opportunity like that again. Um, so I kind of got out of it. But I I found a community that was just incredibly impressive. Uh, individuals that were enthusiastic, phenomenally smart. Um, And uh, it was one of the best opportunities of my life. Um, and I, I greatly respect all the people there. Uh, Petro uh, obviously worked very close with him. And I'll say, you know, it's funny. I, I think Petro was the, is the uh, Amiga community's guardian angel. <laughs> um, you know, and uh, I really enjoyed working closely with him. Um, he kind of represented the old community and I was trying to bring bring the new um, kind of opportunities in and he was very good at working with me on that um, and uh, you know um, uh, I wish the community the best I think that uh, yeah, they deserve with all the work you've put into it for something very good to come out of this okay thank you <laughs> in the name of, of community okay so uh... Thank you again. Have a nice day. Yeah, it's day in your yes. time. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So have a nice day and um, take care and bye bye. Okay. All right. Bye bye, Christoph.
It was Amicast, podcast for all Amiga users.